Hi, welcome to Your Life, Your Way, a podcast series where TMU students and faculty members sharing their experience studying, working, and living in Taiwan. Now, let's get started. Hello there, and welcome to another edition of our podcast of Your Life, Your Way with TMU Taipei Medical University. I'm your host Joseph Lin, and today we have here our special guest, who is the director of the Graduate Institute of Mind, Brain, and Consciousness, and also the vice dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at TMU. Please welcome to the show. It's Dr. Philip Zhen Zhen Xiangfei, Fu Yuanzang. Ni hao, hello. Hey, Joseph. Hello, everyone. I'm Phil. You have a lot to share with us here on the show today because、uh, you study the relationship of perception, attention, memory, and how that all kind of connects in our brain and how that reflects in our behavior. You've had a lot of experience in the industry, in the、uh, auto industry, for that matter, yeah, and、true. how our human behavior is translated into the products you guys design.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, for the last decade or so, you've been back in Taiwan and doing a lot of research. In fact, I also know that you have done extensive research in deception and lies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.、Uh, Philip, you are a、uh, a mind reader, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> I wish. I wish.、Uh, yeah, being a psychology major, you get asked that all the time. You get asked that all the time.、Yeah. But that's one thing we want to debunk a little bit later. Yeah, let's do that.、Uh, because you've、uh, studied in the states、uh, mm-hmm. for many. You actually grew up in the states, didn't you? I did. I did、uh, since junior high. So,、yeah. well, tell us about your background. I mean, you are a neuroscientist, and you've studied、uh, at a couple of UCs. Right. And what does that mean? Yeah.、Um, so I. Pretty much grew up in the states. I went to the states、um, when I was thirteen, fourteen. So I did my junior high and high school、okay. there, and then I went to UC San Diego as a psychology、uh, major. Ah, La Jolla. Yes. <laughs>、uh, so I served. Didn't do much studying or reading. <laughs> Just enjoy、um, the sunshine on、yes, the beach down there. Yeah, it's too distracting. How can you? How can you do anything、right. productive over there? But、um, so there, I was introduced to the science of psychology. I guess、mm-hmm. and.、Uh, Um, so I, I used to think that psychology would help me read other people's minds. So、mm. that's kind of ironic. That's how I got into <laughs> this major, and then I learned it the hard way. After four years, I realized, oh wow, you know, it's actually not what I think it is,、right. but it's actually very interesting.、Right. So I decided to pursue my PhD. <clears throat> I went to、um, Santa Cruz、yeah. for another four years, or actually five years of、uh-huh. PhD. So、um, pretty much. Being a Californian for、yeah. quite a long time, right, right. Yeah, you got the experience of North and South as yeah, well, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah,、um, it, it's interesting because you know, as, as、uh, different degree majors, like I was an electrical engineering major、uh, back、uh, in California as well at、okay. UC Irvine, and people would think, "Wow, you're a double E major. That means if my TV is broken, you can fix it." <laughs> I'm like,、uh, "Not really. I mean, I understand the theory behind it, but、uh, doesn't mean I can fix it." <laughs> right, right. Same thing. You have been a psychology major for so many years.、Mm-hmm. Maybe you. Have a better understanding of human behavior, but to be able to read people's minds,、yes. that would be a different plane, a different story. And if you could do that, man, you could、uh, be a big celebrity. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, to think about it, if I could actually read people's mind, I would be making a lot of money here. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you also had、uh, a few years of experience at Volkswagen. Yeah. So right after、okay. uh, my PhD, I did a one-year、uh, Volkswagen、uh, research lab. Okay. It's called ERL Electronic the Research Lab. Of cars, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did you make that connection? Yeah, interesting. So,、um, 
it was the psychology of drivers. Drivers, yeah, there and you go. how drivers interact with the environment, such、mm. as the machines around us. So my research group that I that I was in was called Human Machine Interface、ah. Research Group.、Mm-hmm. Um, so so because、um, my expertise lies in the measurement. Uh, the objective measurement of pe- people's attention,、mm. and attention is crucial in a driving environment like、mm-hmm. that. So naturally, you would think companies like Volkswagen or even Apple or maybe Google—they actually have tons of psychologists、oh, absolutely. working in the lab trying to figure out what's the best way to engage. With people's attention, right,、yeah. right. I, I think that's very apparent with the online world right now, right? Yeah, yeah, they, exactly. They have big data and all that, and, and collecting all that data and、right. trying to、uh, analyze human behavior、yeah. and how to make a product that is more user friendly—not only user friendly, but、mm-hmm. also to be able to have information ready for you whenever it's needed. Yeah.、Uh, when it comes to an automobile, I suppose you know、uh, how the the front window is built, how the controls are in different locations, you know, could have different、uh, effects on your driving experience. Exactly. Yeah. And you have to also considering the information load. You know, sometimes you put the right information in the right spot, but、uh-huh. do people have enough brain power、uh-huh. to attend to all those information you give them? What's the optimal amount? So everything has to be considered.、Uh-huh. So the car that we drive in today is kind of the conservative product that、yes. you know that's the safest part. But、yes. actually, in the lab, we do a lot of crazy, wild、I'm、things、sure. to kind of push our limit a little and see what try to imagine what's a car of tomorrow、uh-huh. going to be like. Okay, how okay. much of that creativity can be injected? Back into today's cars. Right, so, right. It was a pretty interesting time. Oh, there you go. So it's not just about what you do. You know, the examination or na- analysis of existing cars, but、mm-hmm. where should we go with this technology yeah, in yeah. the future? And I would never ever imagine that a psychology major student would be able to work in the auto industry in this capacity. And yet, there is a need for that. Right, right.、Uh, so when we talk about psychology, there are different connotations.、Mm-hmm. So people think about, oh, you know, are you a counseling psychologist?、Mm-hmm. Are you a therapist? So those are true.、Mm-hmm. But there are also Psychologists who study the relationship between mind and brain、mm. or cognition. So that's、mm. where I come in.、Mm. So when you talk about things like attention, memory,、mm. these things are fascinating. They kind of make us human. Yet they're invisible. You can't see them. So how do you investigate them scientifically? So that's the、right. art of、uh, my job, I guess, and that's actually very applicable to a lot of the high tech industry. Right,、today. right. Well, eventually, we want to know、uh, what brought you back to Taiwan and what made you switch from being in the industry to now being in the academics as well.、Uh, but before we get into that, any, any other、uh, myths you want to debunk as a、uh, whether as a neuroscientist or a psychology major? Yeah, there's so many. So. First, we don't remind, but you know, as a neuroscientist, you also have to tell people that no, you're not just using ten percent of your brain or five、ah, percent, whatever. Yeah, whatever that percentage is. is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, I mean, sure, when you look at people's brain neural activities under、um, mm-hmm. neuroimaging t- tools.、Mm-hmm. You can see that they're using their entire brain. In fact, your brain consumes a lot, most of your energy in your body,、mm-hmm. even though it's such a small organ.、Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. But also, if you th- just think about it, there's actually a logical error in that statement. Because、mm-hmm. to know that I'm using ten percent of the brain, yeah, that means I must know what hundred percent is. Is correct. Like, yeah. So metaphorically, you might think, <laughs> oh, it's talking about human potential. We're not serious about the ten percent. Right. It's talking about you can do so much more than. What you already have,、yeah. although that idea is true, but if we don't really know what our limitation is, how did you derive that ten percent to true, begin、true. with? So there is a logical error in that statement as well. So I would say that no, just take care of your brain, 
exercise, eat healthily, but don't worry too much about the 10%. Thing, right, 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 right. Again, like you said, it's more about the potential that we have and we're just using a portion of it, but there's so much more that we can explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it may just only be 1% we're using right now. Who knows? Right, right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so just do your best, right. but don't worry too much about your, your brain. Right. And, uh, it, will, it will take care of you. <laughs> right. And I know you study a lot uh, about like social conformity as well. In fact, I saw a TED Talk you did ah, yes, that's uh, right. about that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So the neuroscience behind everything fascinates me. So the neuroscience behind deception is what I'm working on. But neuroscience be behind morality mm. or moral reasoning mm. or political divisions, mm. things like that, or social conformity, social yeah. behaviors, things like that, like that also fascinate me. They, I think they're kind of a little bit more difficult than what I'm currently working on because oh. uh, attention, memory, they're kind of basic. So I can kind of wrap my head around it. Yeah. But social conformity, mm. those are more higher order functions that mm. maybe only humans have, arguably. Mm. So those things are harder to investigate, but that that's very fascinating. Mm. So um, recently I've begun to uh, move into that direction mm. as well. Mm. I'm fascinated and intrigued by that too. Yeah. And so I love maybe for another episode to learn more about oh, yeah. that. Episode two, and and yes. maybe like uh, now that you're back in Taiwan, when it comes to social conformity, I think there might be a little bit heavier emphasis on that in our society just because so. of the culture and whatnot. I you think know? so, yeah. Because yeah. even in a school setting, you walk around, people call you professor, people call you laosu. We yeah. never do that in the States, That's right? True, we just right. call people by, by the first name. Right. So obviously some components in our culture, yeah. invisibly or visibly, is reinforcing that social hierarchy, which right. exacerbates the um, conformity right, the right. behavior. Right. Now, uh, another, uh, I guess, question to ask. You are a neuroscientist, a cognitive neuroscientist. Right, correct. Does that translate to being a neurologist? No, surprisingly <laughs> no. So I okay. didn't find this out. Um, I didn't find out about this until very late in my college. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so if you go to a hospital and you seek uh, advices from a neurologist, that mm -hmm. means you usually have some brain damages or you have some disorders, pathologies that you need treatment yes. of. Yes. However, what I'm doing is, um, for example, if I investigate creativity or if I investigate um, the neuroscience behind political affiliations, there mm -hmm. is no disease involved. It's all healthy wow. human being. So I'm not really a neurologist. Mm -hmm. And if you have a stroke, you should go to the doctors and you shouldn't come to me. You know, I'm right. the last person you should, you should talk to. <laughs> right. now, but on the other hand, I'm not too different from the neurologist. You can think of me mm -hmm. as a healthy man's neurologist. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm interested in the same cognitive function that the medical doctors are mm -hmm. interested in. It's just that they do their research on patients while I do mine on healthy human beings, mm -hmm. but it's actually the same spectrum. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I would like to think of myself as a... Um, healthy people's um, version of neurologist. And we're, I'm actually doing something on the far end of the spectrum, but the same spectrum as the neurologists, mm -hmm. nonetheless, even though I'm not one. And I, I'm not, actually not a medical doctor, mm -hmm. even though I'm teaching in a medical university. Mm -hmm. So that's something to also think about. Right, right. You guys, uh, are uh, you have the same, I guess, basic principles, except it's applied in different terms. Yeah, yeah, I think right? so. Yeah. yeah. So if you mm -hmm. want to be a neurologist one day, you could make that transition. Hopefully. If yeah. you wanted to. If I still can't remember all that. <laughs> well, uh, Philip, tell us about your transition then to uh, TMU. And again, this is a transition on, on many different uh, angles, you know, uh, moving back from the States to Taiwan, right. uh, abandoning uh, industry and then getting into academics True. and uh, you know you're in a different environment tell us about your transition here and, and why you chose to do so yeah um, so 
I um, I really wanted to stay in the states. So mm. I don't know if it's okay to say that, but, <laughs>、yeah. but uh, I have to come back because I have to serve my、um, military service no, army. Okay. So okay, so okay. that was incentive one. But but also I wanted to, after a year of industrial experience, I also thought maybe a, an academic job、mm. was the right job for me.、Mm. So I guess many、um, many of the audience might be interested、mm. to know why,、mm. because you know you might be a PhD student as well.、Mm-hmm. So I think. It came down to: Do I get to do whatever research that I feel intrigued about?、That's、so,、true. investigations, neuroscientific investigations of deception or of、um, morality,、mm-hmm. they don't make a lot of money. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't envision you know、uh, Silicon Valley companies with throwing millions and millions of dollars hiring you know people to do that kind of research.、Right. So, in order to do That kind of curiosity-driven research、mm-hmm. or basic research,、mm-hmm. it you really need an academic job where you can be your own boss and do it. So after a year of experience、um, at Volkswagen, I truly enjoy my time there.、Mm-hmm. But sometimes I feel like there is a part of me that wanted to do more, you know, more than the cars or、mm-hmm. more than just human machine interaction. I wanted to do something on my own. Can I can I do that? And the answer is, you know, maybe an academic job. Was was better, so、mm. that that's、uh, a big reason why I、um, left the states and came back to Taiwan、mm-hmm. and started looking for an academic job.、Mm. That's actually interesting to point out this particular、uh, contrast, like in the industry where supposedly you make a lot more money、right. and there's more、uh, financial backing, if、yes. if you will,、uh, but yet.、Um, The amount of things or the array of things that you can do is a little bit more limited because you're in the industry. So whatever your job title is, you're limited to that.、Mm-hmm. And you, on the other hand, want to expand beyond that. So going back to academics, where there's probably less money, <laughs> but at the same time, you have a broader spectrum of things to do、yeah. uh, that interests you. Yeah. So right. So I think it comes down to: Do you get to decide? What you want to do, right? right?、Um, so in the company,、um, I might have a brilliant idea. It cannot be too far fetched, but you know, I could have a good idea. I have to report it to my team leader,、uh-huh. and then we'll discuss if that's feasible. And then we'll also ask for funding from the、uh, company to、uh-huh. try to implement that、right. research. Same rationale goes here in university. I ask for taxpayers' money to do the research that I want to do.、Right. But the crucial difference is that I get to decide what proposal that. That I want to write. So、mm. if I want to do morality, deception, I can do that. Whereas that might not be feasible in a high tech company. So it comes down to: Do you get to decide whatever you want to do, even though it, at the end of the day, you might make just a tiny bit of progress. It、mm-hmm. might not be a money making research,、mm-hmm. in, at least not within my lifetime.、Mm. But you know, are you curious enough to? To pursue that、sure. that line of research, if that's true, if that's you, then maybe、mm. academia is a is a better bet.、Mm. Of course, there's a lot of practical differences, such as the size of the team or the work schedule、mm. or the finance and everything. But I think it comes down to kind of the、uh, personal goal and the interest. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And your passion lies here. Yeah, know, basically, yeah. I can tell just by talking to you. Yeah, yeah. I have to do for for ten years now. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you a more particular question then. I mean, when, when you first came back to Taiwan and then you got into well, you didn't go straight to TMU, right? You, I did a four-year postdoc, yeah, right? Postdoc、yeah. first,、mm-hmm. and then came to TMU.、Mm-hmm. 
when you took over, uh, what was like the first like passion project you had? Uh, over here. Okay, so the first project was definitely Deception because um, okay. I was exposed to this, but um, I previously, I guess in my previous life, I've, I'm more internationally known for my research in brain stimulation. So uh-huh. I use electricity to zap different regions of the brain uh-huh. to try to make people smarter or to try to make patients such as Alzheimer patients perform better mm-hmm. um, as a treatment maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm known for, but um, that's something that I kind of do because I think it's going to be useful for the human society. But yeah. some, you know, deep inside of me, there is also a part of me. You know, I love reading detective like mystery ah, novels. You do. Okay, yeah, and you deception. Love a yeah, and <laughs> deception. Or yeah, it's just, just, it's just. You know, I, I, I can't ever, I, I can't escape it. It's the topic yeah. that's, that's been, um, I've been thinking about for a long time. And finally, I get to be my own boss. I'm not, I'm no longer working for anyone else. Uh-huh. Working for myself. So the first project I did was the uh, deception study, uh-huh. which I'm still doing today. But yeah. uh-huh. So you love murder mysteries. <laughs> yes, <right>? yes, yes. <laughs> Any kind of mystery. Yeah, I'm a big fan. You know, and then I have a question to ask. You know, lie detectors are being used when, when you know, criminals are interrogated. Right. So are they really that accurate? I mean, you should you should have an answer to that, don't you? Yes. Um, the honest answer is no, not really. Even, is it not? Yeah. Okay. It's a technology that we've been using for 100 years, okay. and it hasn't changed one uh-huh. bit, oh, is that which right? is kind of scary, right? Think uh-huh. of how much things have changed you know, since a century ago, but uh-huh. not polygraph. So it's not really, it's not really <laughs> accurate. And the, the thing about it is that it measures your autonomic responses. So it measures how it's a nervousness det- detector. I see. Right. Now, who's most nervous in a serial murder? Is it right. is it the serial killer or the innocent person that you've True. Yeah, you you're thinking that might be your killer. Right. Usually in my experience, usually the innocent people right, right. are much more s- nervous right. than your sociopathic um, right. serial killer. They, they're, they're, they, they, they tend to be more common collected, actually. Right, right, which exactly. Is scary, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. true. And, right. if, if, and if it's not their first time, they're, they're, right. you know, they, they're, they're really right, not right. nervous. So I think the problem with the polygraph mm. is that it has a huge false alarm rate. Mm. You tend to blame innocent people mm. as guilty. And that's a huge problem mm. in... In, uh, in the justice system. It's not a huge problem in medicine. Mm-hmm. So if you have two tumors, mm-hmm. you go to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Dr. A says, you know, I can find one tumor. So okay. he gives you one out of two. Uh-huh. Dr. B gives you five tumors. Uh-huh. So he's very liberal. So he catches everything and say, you have five tumors. Okay. Where in reality, you have two. Mm-hmm. Which doctor would you prefer? Mm-hmm. You probably prefer the second one because you know you right. get you get a scare, but nothing nothing too bad. You caught the two. You really wouldn't want to go to the first doctor because they, they failed to catch the first one. So that's uh-huh. kind of the the hit rate sensitivity issue that we're thinking about in the world of medicine. We should use a completely different opposite rationale in the justice system. Right. That one misrate or false mm-hmm. alarm, mm-hmm. that's one innocent life. Mm-hmm. That's one person Correct. in jail or Correct. one person's entire family right. broken. So we have to, when we're talking about lie detection, we have to be super conservative. I think yeah. that's the rationale that that's missing in our yeah. justice system yeah. today. And that's what I'm trying to, that's a lesson I try to convey to the world uh, with my research. Well, I got a feeling that I think lie detectors are now just used as references rather than, I mean, it can't be used to actually convict someone. In the but, court. No. no, the court, right? Uh, no, it, it can't. But right. it still has a very huge role because mm. um, when you are when you have no place to go, you will still ask the judge to issue an order of mm. um, a, a polygraph. And even though it has no 
uh, it cannot be used as a reference in the mm. uh, in the court or any mm. as any form of evidence. It nonetheless creates that kind of impression mm-hmm. in the judges mm. that hey, you know, this guy refused to take a polygraph. Mm. Does he or she have something to mm. hide? So even though it's not really an evidence, you nonetheless introduce some kind of biases or suspicion into your and judges. There's a lot of psychology behind exactly. that as well yeah. that, that you might be intrigued. Exactly. And in a jury system, when you have things like this that are presented, that could sway. One thing from one end to another. Yes, you read my in mind. A split Perfect. second. You know? <laughs> yes, yeah. So the yeah. psychology of the juries, yeah. the psychology of the judges, everything is connected. So, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, but also, yeah, there's a lot of research to be done. Right. You know, I, I feel like talking to Philip, I'm a little scared, intimidated now because uh, he's more than just a lie detector. He's like, you know, you know that character in, in Meet the Fockers, Robert De Niro? Uh, the, the, like, the, like he, 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 he can actually detect lies by just holding your hand. <laughs> You're like Robert. De Niro in there. You're like a human lie detector. Yeah. I try to be, but I'm not nearly as good as Robert De Niro. Oh, that is a funny movie, though. So that reminds me, like, you are the character that Robert De Niro plays, you know, and Meet the Pockers, and mm. you're like a human lie detector, you know? <laughs> I wish I was as good, but. <laughs> so, so you got to have a lot of interaction experiences with lie detectors as well, you know, or. Right, right. So oh. I do uh, visit, uh, I guess we would call them polygraphers. Yeah, okay, polygraphers. Yeah, from the yeah. police academy. I also work with the FBI here in Taiwan. Do you? Uh, yeah, and uh, I don't actually invest cases, but I <laughs> collaborate in terms of research okay. with them to find out what's... Consultation. The, yeah, and also try to find out what's the better technique for maybe the light detection of tomorrow, maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I also talk with um, some judges as well as district attorneys mm-hmm. uh, to try to educate people about the pitfalls of light detection, polygraph, polygraph and how you can right. maybe use modern technology such as EEG, brainwave, or even neuroimaging techniques to maybe fix them. I don't think we're there yet, but that's the kind of research that we're currently doing uh-huh. in my lab and in my institute. Okay. So I guess in Taiwan, they actually uh, do want to improve the system and they're yeah. working with people like you. Yeah, I think so. I think people in the police academy, also uh-huh. people in the FBI, they're really open-minded and they know... Uh, sometimes they're, they're, they do things that they do because of practical constraints or maybe timelines. Right. So we probably shouldn't talk too much about that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they're very surprisingly, they're very open to new kinds of research. And they're actually very well aware of some of the recent advances in the neuroscience community, which mm. was quite surprising mm-hmm. to me. So my next mission now is to educate the policymakers mm. and try to make them be as aware of the recent advances in neuroscience. So, Mm -hmm. for example, we're now using brainwave techniques Mm -hmm. to try to fix the uh, problem of detecting just nervousness. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing that, maybe we can use something else, detect memory traces. Okay. If you you are a serial killer and then you want to pretend not to be, Uh. and you pretend that you weren't there last Friday, uh-huh. But then when I show you the picture of the knife, the murder weapon, right. suddenly your brainwave becomes bigger, mm-hmm. which means that you recognize this this knife. Okay. But didn't you say you weren't there right. last Friday? Right. So if I show you five relevant pictures that only the guilty would know, right. and you all show relevant memory Reactions. responses, right. That means you're probably hiding something. You probably know something only the police and the killer would know, right. but that you claim not to know. So there are some new logic behind lie detection nowadays. There are some, uh, we detect memories instead uh-huh. of nervousness. We detect attentional load, like how 
how much brain power, how much brain juice are you using right, right. to generate this response? If you're telling the truth, why are you thinking so much? Why is your entire brainwave activity over the roof? So right. there are some new rationales that we can use. Right. And I'm trying to make the uh, policymakers aware of this approach. And mm. maybe it's time that we can let the polygraph go mm. into history where mm. it belongs. That's pretty amazing. What you study and what you do can penetrate so far into society and into the system, you know. Um, and uh, like you said, you know, just by you describing it, I mean, our, our human brain has so much power and so much waves going on at the same time. It's yeah. very complicated. And the study of it, and, you know, it's not just about lies and deceptions, but uh, just about how we control things ourselves within our world is so, um, it's just a vast amount of uh, information to be studied. Yeah, because sure. everything right. we do is related to other humans. Right. So I think when you study psychology and neuroscience, you really can't go wrong. Everything is related to human beings, so everything needs a touch of psychology and neuroscience. Right. So I'm very glad I found a direction where I could combine my expertise, mm -hmm. but also my interest for mysteries and uh, yeah. detectives. Yeah, I can try <laughs> to combine the two and find you know, find an angle for myself and right. find where I belong. So, so, I was very so, happy. so when we watch like TV series or movies uh, about solving cases and whatnot, you probably have a lot of thoughts in your mind going, oh, I know, I know, I know who did it. I think, I think it's this yeah. person who's the killer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My wife is so sick and tired of me just trying to you know, give her, <laughs> right. force her to listen to my hypothesis right, you know, right. through the show. You but, probably formulate a lot of yeah, those hypotheses. Yeah, throughout yeah, that's the where the fun is. <laughs> exactly. It's like, shut up. I, I'll figure <laughs> out myself you know <laughs> yeah. very interesting yeah. tell us about your experience now being back in taiwan for it's been a little bit more than a decade yeah. um i'm sure i mean you uh, now have a family here as yes, well I do. so this is your your focus uh yeah. in your life uh, but how about the cultural differences whether it be at school or in your life after coming back to taiwan mm -hmm. uh cultural differences i guess I guess I'm pretty used to it because I did grow up here in Taiwan until the mm. age of 13, 14. Okay. So there wasn't that much of a culture shock. But um, yeah, I think I'm so far I'm really enjoying life in Taiwan, but especially life at TMU. You know, mm -hmm. We have a very vibrant research culture and my colleagues, they're also... You know, my colleagues at uh, Mind, Brain, and Consciousness uh, Institute, mm -hmm. they're, all, they're, they're doing all sorts of crazy research. You know, if you think my research is crazy, you should hear about theirs. Uh -huh. they, they do consciousness level in vegetative state patients. Mm -hmm. Are they real wow. vegetative patients? Or okay. are they still awake somewhere deep down there? Right. Can you talk to them? So, so very intriguing research. I get to meet medical doctors. I get to meet different scientists. And we all talk about consciousness. We talk about cognition. So it's a very vibrant research code. So I'm, you know, I think I'm enjoying life at Taiwan right. and also life at TMU so far. Right. And currently you lead a team of about how many people? Uh, we have 10 faculty members right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, 10 different personalities, you know, in all working on from different angles, some from molecular, some from philosophy. We have a philosopher. We have uh, molecular biologists, we have psychologists, neuroscientists. Right. We also have an engineer, actually. So, oh. Yeah, because, uh, you know, neuroimaging techniques, you need engineers. So, uh, so we have a team of different faculty members from 10 different backgrounds, 
all trying to tackle the problem of consciousness from different angles. So right. that's always it's always stimulating. Yeah, it's right. very, always very interesting. That's, that's amazing. That's remarkable what mm. you guys are doing. Yeah. Um, for those who are listening and uh, are interested in pursuing a path like yours, mm-hmm. uh, what advice would you have for them? I guess I have a bit of good news and bad news. Okay. The good news That's is... Good. I think we need both. <laughs> All right, good. good. I'll be, so I'll be honest here. So the good yeah. news is that neuroscience is really a, uh, a growing field, faster than ever. With new neuroimaging techniques, mm. we can now see things that we haven't been able to in the mm. past. So the technology has been advancing yeah, quickly in the exactly. last... Exactly. Yeah, we've been benefiting a lot from okay. the engineering advances. I see. But also the uh, use of machine learning, computation mm. model, artificial intelligence, those yeah. have been tremendously helpful for, for us to decode what the brain is doing. So mm. there's you know billions of neurons in the brain, and how the, the way they're talking to each other is way too massive for mm. us in the past to decode it. Mm. Now we can. So it's a growing field with a lot of opportunities that we didn't know existed mm. before. So now is a great time to join. Mm. There's a lot to learn, but it's a good time. Mm. Now also, but if you're doing like really cutting edge research, then the bad news is you might not make a lot of money because like, like me, you know, if I <laughs> study deception, basically the only job for me out there is a professorship, right? I, yeah. There's nowhere, there's no job in the you're world. You're not going to lie about that. <laughs> basically. <laughs> yes. right. yeah. So you have to ask yourself, am I going to do like um, practical research mm. or am I going to do less practical research? That may be the uh, difference maker in terms of job outlook. Mm. Yeah. So it is possible for you to do research at the same time that fills a medical a met need, mm. then you can translate your research into a pharmaceutical product maybe mm. or some um, cognitive or biomarkers that can provide earlier diagnosis, detection of um, Alzheimer's disease. Yes. So there are medical research out there that the students who are interested in neuroscience, maybe they can try to get the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. You can do cutting-edge research yet have a good job outlook. So it's mm. it's something that I didn't think about when I was young, but mm. something that I definitely wish someone would have told me. So mm. I, I think students interested in graduate education, they can think about this and while they mold you know, their research path. Right. Mm. But to be honest, going back to your experience at Volkswagen, you, that is kind of an example of how a student of neurosciences could actually put into practical terms that cross to different industries that we didn't realize. You know, it, It's true. not just about being in the field of, of, of medicine or in being in the medical field. There's so many practical uses to it. And That's like you said, true. the technology has advanced so much. And this brings in probably a different subject, again, maybe for another day, but in the 21st century now, uh, we're advancing into robotics. And, you know, there are a lot of movies about the psychology behind robots and yes. whatnot. Yeah. And that's another fascinating field of the future. Right. You know, how, how do we emulate uh, human behavior mm-hmm. in robots? And if that is even uh, a morale Yes. To do. And are they conscious? Are they conscious? <laughs> when they that? behave like human beings, are they conscious? So right. That's another and, and, million dollar question. Exactly. Yeah. And, and how do we welcome in that world? You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more yeah. for this field, not in the next few years to come, but in the next hundreds and thousands of years to come definitely, as well. Definitely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, how how do you um, put that into uh, um, a future plan? You know, that that is something that you can think about and. Uh, Philip is here to help you if you have any questions. Have you ever come to TMU and be part of this team? Definitely. And I think that was a good point about um, I didn't know that my research was useful in the automotive world. That's true. But, you know, it was. Yeah. So 
sometimes, if you think about it, maybe every line of research eventually is useful. It's just that, you know, has anybody realized the potential opportunities out there? And if not, are you going to be the first one to make that transition? So I think sometimes everything is connected and everything has opportunities behind it. You just need to be clever enough or creative enough to see the opportunity. So I think that would be a great mindset for any graduate students to have. How do I translate my research to you know, something useful or something practical, something that's immediately beneficial to the yes, society. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was some good advice. And now I'm curious, like, what are you doing currently? And is there any uh, research or studies are you guys doing right now that might be of interest to people who are listening? Yeah, so for the students out there who are interested in mind, brain, and consciousness, mm-hmm. uh, we're currently working on patient research. So like I mentioned, vegetative state patients. We're also interested in psychiatric patients. So people with mental disorders, Mm. what's wrong with their consciousness? So for a schizophrenic patient to say that I saw something there, even though it's not there, Mm. what are they seeing? What are they listening? And what does that have to do with neural activities, Mm. you know, their behavior of their brains? Mm. So we're very fascinated by these Um, problems or these um, populations. Mm. And if you don't want to work with patients, you can also think about other research questions such as navigation, spatial sense, or people's mathematics skills, creativity, things like that, you know, cognitive neuroscientists also work on. So I think uh, our institute does a variety of different research topics Mm. that are, that's good for people to learn from. But the, um, the bottom line is if you're, intrigued about human brain and its relationship with consciousness. Some people call it spirit or soul, but we call it cognition and consciousness. Mm. Then you might be a good fit in Mm. this uh, weird group of uh, philosophers, Uh engineers, neuroscientists, and psychologists. You might be a good fit with one of us because that's exactly the weird questions that we're trying to pursue. It's uh, trying to scientifically investigate something that's so Mm. invisible and mysterious, Mm. trying Mm. to numerize, trying to quantify something inside you. I think that's the hardest challenge, but the the most interesting challenge of all. Yes. I mean, as we come towards the end of this podcast, you just open up a whole new subject right there again. And how, you know, not necessarily how religion plays in this, but like you mentioned, you know, consciousness, spirit, soul, they all have a certain relationship here and how we perceive it, you know? So again, that is a whole different subject that maybe for some other time we can talk about. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for garnering so much interest in this subject and uh, congratulations for what you've done so far. Again, we have been talking to the director of Graduate Institute of Mind, Brain, and Consciousness and also vice dean of College of Humanities and Social Sciences at TMU. Uh, his name is Philip Zhenzhen, Xiangfei Fuyuanzhang. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. And thank you so much for listening to our podcast, Your Life, Your Way. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. Your Life, Your Way is brought to you by Taipei Medical University. To get more content sent directly to your device, you can subscribe to our program on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.